This is episode 141 with Ashley Richmond. Welcome to the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. I am your host, Brian McGuire. And if you are in pursuit of your own happiness, this is the podcast for you. Join me along my own journey in finding happiness as I cover topics such as health, wellness, mindset, travel, adventure, dating, relationships, and so much more as I interview some of the most passionate and successful people in the world. And today I am super excited to introduce to you Ashley Richmond, a writer, athlete, and avid self-improver. And when I say athlete, she plays for the New Zealand national hockey team. And we all know hockey players are amazing athletes, let alone at that level. Ashley has a Master of Science in Psychology with supporting papers in nutrition, sports nutrition, and sports psychology. Her writings have been featured in top online publications such as Better Humans, The Ascent, and Mind Cafe. She's been named to a top writer in health, self-improvement, psychology, and advice on medium.com. Her mission is to utilize the power of words to empower people to live healthy and meaningful lives. And her words are exactly how I found her. She is super active and popular on Twitter slash X, whatever you want to call it. That's where I found her and her content is just so good. There were so many ways I wanted to take this conversation, but I saw a pinned tweet at the top of her social media feed. And I said, you know what, we have to talk about this. It says, I've spent the last decade researching and experimenting with the most effective system for building muscle and losing fat. Don't waste the next 10 years trying to figure this out. I'll show you how to build your dream body in the next few minutes, which turns into our discussion. We hit on a step-by-step guide helping you build your dream body with not just the how, but also the why. It's not every day you get to talk to a nutritionist and really dig into the answers that we all have questions to. Where do we start? Why are we doing this? How to do this properly? So I was able to do that, giving you all a step-by-step guide on how to build your dream body. If you want to follow Ashley on Twitter, it's underscore Ashley Richmond. AshleyRichmond.net is her website. And if you enjoy this episode or any other episode, please share this with friends and family. I know this would help so many people. It also helps my reviews. So please also leave a review. I really do appreciate that. And follow the podcast on Instagram at the Pursuit of Happiness podcast. With all that said, here we go. Here is how to build your dream body with Ashley Richmond. Hey, Ashley. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Excellent. I hear a little bit of an accent all the way from New Zealand, but you're Canadian though, right? Yeah, I'm from Canada originally. Yeah. Where uh, we're in Canada? Uh, Calgary. Oh, nice. My wife and I just flew to Calgary uh, a month ago. We went to Banff for for a week. Yeah. Gorgeous. Yeah. (laughs) Banff is great yeah (laughs) it's amazing have you so like obviously you've been right like how many times have you been up in that area um like 
back to Banff and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, tons. Like I was there in May this year. I try to go back every year. Okay. And then obviously I always go out to Banff and stuff just because it's so nice. So it's, it's yeah, amazing. as much as I can. It's amazing. But uh, Ashley, we're not here to talk about travels. So I kind of, <laughs> I could do that all day if you wanted to. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you joining me. You are extremely knowledge in the world of fitness, diet, nutrition. I love it. I love talking about that. I can't wait to dive into this. Um, you're a writer as well. You're an athlete, yeah. a coach. I mean, you are everything when it comes to fitness. And that's why I reached out to you. And I'm super happy to have you. Um, and you also, do you also play for the national New Zealand ice hockey team as well? Yeah, I do. Yeah. For the last six years, I think. Yeah. Wow. That's no joke. I, I mean, ice hockey is, correct me if I'm wrong, but that's the most eye hand coordination sport probably on the planet, right? Probably. It's definitely up there. Yeah. Yeah. And your, you know, your fitness and cardio has to be top notch to be, especially the national team for New Zealand. That's awesome. Congratulations with that. Did I miss anything in, in your introduction? I think you got it. Got it. (laughs) It is. It is. Oh, I want to make sure it's very well deserved. You know what you're doing. You got great schooling as well. Um, What you have an MS. What is what is MSc in psychology? What does that mean? What's MSc? Um, Master's degree in. So it's a master of science with a major in psychology. Okay, perfect. With supporting papers in nutrition, sports nutrition, and sports psychology. So basically. You have, I'm I'm making sure you get your clout. So people, when they're listening to you, they know like, yeah, you know what you're talking about. Um, And we were messaging back and forth the other day about what we want to chat about. And there's hundreds of different angles we could take this conversation when it comes to fitness and nutrition and diet. And who knows, maybe we'll touch on some of those as well. But uh, one of your posts that you have on X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it these days um, is pinned to the top. And it's definitely yeah. something that caught my attention. You pinned it for a reason. Yeah. Um, as a ton of likes and hearts and follows, if you will, was don't waste the next 10 years trying to figure this out. You'll show me how to build your dream body in the next, we'll say three minutes because it's a post and you can scroll down, but we're going to talk about that. And you said, this is awesome because this is what you teach. Um, yeah. Are you ready to dive into this or is there anything you want to hit on before we just shoot off like a rocket here? Yeah, we can just get right into it. This is awesome. All right. So for people looking to build their dream body or physique, here we go. This is the podcast for you. I am really excited about this. I feel like there's things I've heard, things I know, things I didn't know, some questions I have in some of these steps as well. So step-by-step guide. I love talking with experts like you, giving people a blueprint and a path to follow to actually implement into their lives so they can start seeing results. I feel like so many of things that we read or conversations that we hear, it's like, it's great to have the information, but we don't really know where to start, um, what steps to take, what steps to take them in. And we're going to just knock all that out right here. So step number one, you have morning, obviously 30 grams of protein. Starting the day with 30 grams of protein is a great way to stimulate muscle protein synthesis. 
30 grams of protein. Let's just hit on that because that's no joke. Um, so tell me why that's so important and perhaps some foods or areas that we can get 30 grams of protein to start the day. Yeah. So protein is crucial for everybody, no matter your goals. So whether you're looking to build muscle, lose fat, generally just be healthy, protein is really important because it's the building blocks of it is the building block of our muscles, our tissues, pretty much everything in our body. You need protein for that. And so starting your day with protein is really important um, just to get enough protein throughout the day. So ideally through for the whole day, we're aiming for about one gram of protein per pound of body weight roughly is a good aim. And a lot of people are going to be like, wow, like that is a lot of protein. So getting that protein in the morning, like front loading it is going to help you hit that target. It's also going to help you stay full throughout the day. So that's really important if you're looking to lose weight, generally like sustain your energy levels um, and just get through the day without being hungry, reaching for those snacks. So aiming for a high protein breakfast is always my top recommendation. I definitely recommend that over fasting. Obviously fasting works for a lot of people, but in my experience, getting protein in early in the day is most impactful. So in terms of what 30 grams looks like, I think I have included some examples in there, but for me, I'll give what I eat specifically just as an example. So I usually just have eggs on toast every single day. That toast is sourdough bread that I've made at home. Usually two to three eggs, uh, so grass-fed butter, and then usually some sort of meat as well, whether that's a bit of chicken, ham, maybe a bit of cheese as well. That usually gets me up to around that 30 grams. And you could also add something like Greek yogurt with, you know, slivered almonds. Those are all great options. Cottage cheese. Um, you can throw a protein shake in there as well if you need a bit more help topping up those protein levels. Yeah, let's dive into this a little more if you don't mind. Um, yeah. So you said they throw in a protein shake. And if I'm already eating like Greek yogurt and eggs and stuff like that, it sounds delicious. But at some point, is too much protein too much protein? Um, I think it would be pretty hard to have too much. So a lot of people are worried. They're like, obviously there's a lot of information going out around the kidneys and that protein can impact the kidneys or harm the kidneys. And most of that has been disproven. You would have to eat a ton of protein to harm your body. Like, I think you just couldn't do it. Even people who like are carnivore, for example, they're literally just eating protein and fat. Um, and they're, their kidneys are fine. Obviously that's going to be debatable, especially like long-term, what is that going to look like? But I think it would be pretty hard to have too much protein. I think you would just, it's very satiating. So you're going to get full before you can eat too much protein. Yeah. It's really good to know. Um, okay. So eggs, I think eggs, I don't know about New Zealand and Canada, eggs have been vilified growing up. I think there's yeah. a lot of information coming out now. That's just like, that's all BS. I eat eggs every day, I almost every day, and I have for maybe a decade, if not more. Um, so what do you say to the people that are like, eggs, aren't they bad for you? Uh, can't you eat too many? And are they like terrible for your cholesterol? Like, what's your response when people say that? So that's similar to the protein being bad for your kidneys. So there was a time when 
they thought that eggs were bad because of the cholesterol content and the fat content in general. And I think for a whole generation, so I don't know, kind of my grandma's age, I know that she had that growing up where they were saying like, don't eat eggs. They will give you heart disease, everything like that. And all of that's been disproven. So eggs are fine. They're actually like a nutrient powerhouse. They're like a multivitamin. They have so many nutrients. The fat in them is really good for you. It's good fat. The cholesterol is actually really important because things like hormones are made out of cholesterol. So if you want proper hormone function, you need cholesterol in your diet. And I think the fear around that is just, that's what people were told not to eat eggs. And it's hard to undo that when you've been told to avoid something, it's hard to then go eat that food. So I think that's the big problem around eggs right now. Yep. Unlearning. We learned a lot of messed up things growing up and now the science is coming out. Like, so I work for a company called Element. Um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but we do a lot of stuff with sodium and electrolytes. And there's a lot of, yep. a lot of things that people were taught about sodium growing up that's now been like debunked and the science is coming out. So it is a little tough to unlearn things. Um, you brought up cholesterol. I wasn't planning on diving into this, but I might as well ask you, um, are you, are you knowledgeable when it comes to cholesterol, especially LDL? I have a broad understanding. I wouldn't say I'm any expert on it. All right, well, let's jam on this for a moment. Okay. And then um, you can kind of, uh, I don't know, shoot me in the right direction here. Um, so I got my blood results taken a couple weeks ago now. Um, I'm super healthy, very active. I do watch what I eat. Fitness, diet, nutrition, it's all super important to me. Um, all of my levels came out really good and I get my LDL level back and it is 160, I believe it was, which may not mean anything to you being at a different, different measurement scale over there in New Zealand, but it was high. It was way higher than they, the green area they would like you to be in. Did it really make sense for me knowing that's could be an indicator of perhaps heart issues down the road um knowing how well i treat my heart knowing how much i exercise and i rest and recover and all that good stuff and how much i care i was i was shocked i was surprised saddened angry and frustrated all at the same time like what the heck i know genetics have a role to do with cholesterol and a lot of these things that come up in blood panels but um and then you start reading more things or hearing more things about that might not be a marker for that at all we're still learning a lot about cholesterol there's just so much misinformation or unknown information about this like now that i said all that like do you have thoughts on, on what i'm saying yeah so i'm similar so i had a blood test i haven't had a blood test for a couple of years but in my last one, I was the exact same. Like I was, that was way higher than it should have been. The doctor was worried and she recommended that I eat healthier and exercise more. And I was like, well, I'm already eating better than anyone I know. Like I play hockey. I go to the gym, you know, four days a week. Like I'm already doing those things. So like, it was almost like, I didn't trust what she was saying because I knew that I was already doing those things. And, but that was her recommendation. That's obviously a blanket recommendation. And for most people eating better and moving more is helpful. And 
I think some of it is genetic. So my dad is the exact same. He's, I think he's about 55. His cholesterol levels are not where they should be either, but he also, he's incredibly fit. Like he has a six pack still like at 55, he's, he eats really well. Like he's doing all the right things and the cholesterol is still high. So like you said, it's hard to say whether that is an issue, especially as we get older or if it's nothing to be worried about, you know, it's just really hard to say because I've talked to a few other people as well who are really healthy, you know, eating well, exercising, all of that, and their cholesterol levels are out of whack as well. So it's like the suggestion from mainstream medicine is to eat better, but if we're already eating well, then it's hard. And then with that cholesterol as well, they say, depending on who you talk to, they say like, dietary cholesterol doesn't impact blood cholesterol, which is interesting. So, but then it's hard. Cause like you, you eat a lot of eggs. I eat a lot of eggs and our cholesterol is high. Our blood cholesterol is high. So it's definitely challenging to know what the right thing is and what's actually going on. And I think we're not going to know long-term necessarily for, you know, decades <laughs> about what's going to happen. Yeah. Hopefully by then it's like not too late or Hopefully yeah. the numbers don't meet as much as perhaps people, people think they do. I don't know. I mean, I, I eat the same amount of eggs last year, did the year before, as I did the year before. My LDL was like fine. So I, I don't know what's going on. It's very confusing, but you know, you broke cholesterol. I was like, shit, I might as well bring this to your attention and see what you say about it. Um, and I don't want to take 20 minutes per step here. I know people are like, what's the next step? But I do want to bring up, you said fasting. Um, something I do on and off is the whole fasting part. Um, who does that work well for and why do you not do it? Yeah. So as a blanket recommendation, I would say for women to not do it. And for men, men are more able to do it than women. So I've had some really bad experiences with fasting where everyone said it's what you need to do. There's tons of benefits. Like the benefits are inarguable. Like they're, they're really good. It's good for you, but with women, especially I'm quite a lean female as well, like low body fat percentage. It was just so stressful on my body. And I didn't really pay attention to that. And I just kept doing it for about six months. So every day I'd get up, drink black coffee on an empty stomach and then write for like four hours. And that was just my routine. And it worked well. I like the clarity that comes with not eating in the morning. And I could just write for hours without getting distracted or anything. And then I just started getting sick. So all my lymph nodes were swollen, like chronically for like six months. Um, and I didn't really know what was going on. I was getting really fatigued when I worked out, I'd get like nauseous, just general symptoms of fatigue in the body and stress in the body. And it got so bad that the doctors thought I had lymphoma because my lymph nodes were swollen for so long. Mm. And really all it took was for me to eat breakfast. So I'm not sure what clicked, but while I was having all these like emergency ultrasounds and stuff, I just started eating breakfast. I'm like, maybe I should fuel myself better. And it shouldn't have taken me six months to realize that, but in pretty much overnight, everything went back to normal. So my experience with fasting wasn't good. And I know for a lot of females, it's just how our hormones are. They're more, we're much more susceptible to stress and cortisol were just not i don't want to say not as resilient as a man but just physiologically like our bodies need more support and care whereas 
men can handle not eating. And I think a lot of that comes down to if you look at how our ancestors would have lived. So a typical day for the caveman, the men would go out and hunt an animal and the women would stay back at base and probably nibble on like berries and seeds and whatever was around. And I think that's just, that's the physiology. So for men, it can definitely be a good option. I know a lot of people see good results with it, women too, but it's definitely something to be aware of. Um, You need to be self-aware. You need to be paying attention to how your body is. And another thing I recommend is if you're going through a particularly stressful period, like maybe right now, like work can be quite stressful with the holidays and everything, maybe not fast during that period. So you need to see it as a stressor because it is a stressor. Same with exercise. Exercise is a stressor, but it's about learning when to use it and when you shouldn't use it and listening to your body about, you know, how it's going and whether you need to pull back a little bit. Interesting. I feel like people are like, oh, it's the holidays. I'm going to fast so I can eat all the cookies (laughs) and cakes and food for for dinner to the family events. That's funny you say that. Um, Not to stick too long on this stuff. I don't want to stick too long on it, but I did notice that you don't have oatmeal on your list. Um, And I have a feeling like people are like, oatmeal is like a breakfast for champions type of thing you know like what are your thoughts on oatmeal I have it sometimes so for a good chunk of my life I was trying to avoid gluten for various reasons and oats do contain a type of gluten so I just I didn't eat oats for a long time but I actually really enjoy oatmeal so I do have it now occasionally um maybe twice a month I would have oatmeal which Again, there's so many mixed messages about it. Like in one one hand, it's it's a single ingredient food, which I definitely recommend. You know, it's as it comes in nature for the most part. Like it's not like a highly processed food. It's pretty natural mm-hmm. and it's full of fiber. It's got nutrients. Um, but then some people will say it's got like anti-nutrients as well, which is like a whole another complicated topic that I don't fully understand. But essentially it's got some compounds in it that can impact your ability to absorb nutrients. So like, that's not ideal either. It also has no protein, but you can easily add something like yogurt or protein powder to make it have more protein. But Mm -hmm. again, I think, I don't think it's an everyday food for sure, but I think every now and then it's fine. Yeah. I, um, I go back and forth with the oatmeal. I enjoy it. I kind of like you, I do it occasionally with my LDL being a little high. I know it's got fiber. So I'm hoping incorporating that maybe perhaps is a little more. And like, cause I add protein powder to it as well. So, you know, when I count my macros, which I occasionally do, I'll end up with like 30 grams of carbs, 30 grams of protein by the time my breakfast is done. And there you go. Boom. There's that 30 grams you're talking about. So uh, we'll move on here. And so next up, we have creatine. I'm excited for you to talk about this. You said creatine is the most studied supplement in the world. Take five grams of it per day, split into two doses. It's been shown to have benefits for nearly every aspect of our health with relevant, with the relevant benefit being on our muscles. So creatine was something I had taken growing up, kind of like in my teen, early 20 years, like going to the gym is like, yeah, take creatine, you'll get bigger or stronger. I have a feeling you know more about creatine than I do. I will say my hesitancy on taking creatine recently has just been the absorption of water and holding more 
weight, uh, maybe making clothes fit a little tighter, making my waistline perhaps be a little bigger. Um, could be right, could be wrong. I'm interested to hear what you say about creatine. Yeah, it definitely impacts water retention. And that's a big reason why people do want to take it because it makes your muscles look bigger just because there's more water in them. But I think creatine is another one of those things where people were told it wasn't safe to take and that it would make you bald. And there are a few other claims going around about creatine, but it's, yeah, it's the most studied supplement out there. It's incredibly safe. It's very inexpensive. So I think it's just a good like foundational supplement to take, especially if you're looking to build muscle, or even if you're looking to lose weight, because building muscle is going to help you lose fat. So I don't take it all the time. I'm trying to be better at taking it regularly, but I do try to take it more days than not. And there's also been like tons of benefits um, that have been coming out with like cognitive health. Like it's good for brain health. It's good for a bunch of different aspects of your health and with no, or I wouldn't say no, but little side effects or known side effects. It's just a good, safe supplement to be including. And for people that know this, don't know this, creatine's already in the body, right? We're just su- supplementing the body with more. Yeah. And you can get it from things like red meat has quite a bit of creatine in it. So you're already, yeah, you've already got it in your body. You're already ingesting it, but we're just increasing how much you've got. See, I think that makes people feel better knowing it's not like a drug or I know steroids kind of like the wrong word to use, but you know, people think of like creatine as working out, get strong, get bigger. It's not even on the same level as that. You've already got this in your body. You're just giving yourself more. Is that something that tapers off the older you get? I'm not sure. Potentially. I haven't yeah. done a ton of reading on it. Okay. I'm just thinking that out loud. Um, all right, so creatine, something I might look into adding into uh, my daily routine. That's just like a white powder, stir it in some water, chug it. And that's how you would take it, right? That's it. I take it as a capsule just because it oh. makes it easier. Instead of having to mix it in something, I just take it like a pill. Okay, well, good to know. All right, so here we go. Here's everybody's favorite subject. We got coffee is next. So you have coffee as a powerful fat loss tool. I will say the, there is no asterisk when you put that. The asterisk is people don't go to Starbucks and load it with shots of like sugars and syrups and whipped cream and all this stuff. Then it is not a fat loss tool. <laughs> it is not helping with that. But um, I'm just gonna let you let you rip on coffee real for, for a second because uh, you know more about coffee than I do. So how is coffee a powerful fat loss tool? So coffee is. Again, I feel like it's one of those things that is controversial. And anytime I talk about coffee, you either people either love it or they tell me that I'm wrong. So I'm a massive coffee fan. I've done a ton of research on coffee. And I think that if you're smart about it, it is a powerful tool for many things. But in terms of fat loss, it helps with both the mobilization of fat. So that's taking your fat out of the cells and then oxidation, which is using that fat as fuel. So it helps with both of those processes. And most of that is going to come from the caffeine. So that's going to apply if you take like a caffeine pill or drink black tea um, or an energy drink. Not that I would recommend 
those for various Mm -hmm. reasons, but it's mainly the caffeine here that's having the effect. But the cool thing with coffee is that it also has a ton of benefits that you're not going to get with something like an energy drink or a caffeine pill in that, like it's got antioxidants, tons of nutrients. Um, It prevents what's been shown to prevent things like Alzheimer's, Parkinson's Mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I think it's a great tool to use if you are trying to lose weight. So if you are trying to lose weight and get that dream body that we're talking about here, what are some things that you would put in coffee and perhaps some things that you would stay away from? I drink my coffee black. So I always recommend black, but obviously some people don't like the taste of coffee. So you want to stay away from anything artificial. So artificial creamers are bad, artificial sweeteners And I would opt for more natural stuff. So if you do want to put some sort of creamer in, just get cream, like normal cream, normal milk is going to be a much better option. And same with sweeteners, like honey would be a great option. If you don't like honey, even just something like a raw cane sugar, it's not ideal, but I would so much rather you put that in your coffee than an artificial sweetener, like aspartame, or Mm. like you said at Starbucks, like the syrups they use are, I don't even know what's in them, but it's not good. It's chemicals and nothing that's going to help your body lose weight. Yeah. That's a, it's a habit. A lot of us need to break, um, love our, love our sweet coffees, but it is literally just dessert first thing in the morning. It reminds me of growing up the cereal. I just had this conversation with my friend a couple weeks ago. I was like the cereals we used to have, I don't know about you, but I took my wife on a date a couple of weeks ago and we went to a place that does toppings on ice cream and the toppings were all the cereals that we used to eat as kids. I was like, hold on a second. Growing up, I used to eat this stuff to start my day and now they're toppings for ice cream. <laughs> like, what, like what in the world were we eating growing up? And I just, I mean, geez, Starbucks, like, if you've seen these videos like the amounts of sugars the spoonfuls of sugars just in these drinks is just people don't do it don't do it it's not worth it um yeah crazy um do you do you have starbucks in new zealand yeah we do do. i figured you did they're everywhere Um, yeah so one of the next steps you have in the morning before we get to daytime here you you have fasted walking and fasted cardio yeah so do you want to touch on that because considering you kind of steer clear of intermittent fasting yourself, do you perhaps just get in a little bit of exercise before you eat breakfast? What's your recommendation there? Yeah. So this is a nuanced one and obviously seems to contradict what I just said before. So it's going to be an individual thing. So what I do personally is as soon as I wake up, I go out for a walk. And for me, that's not really for fat loss. I'm not trying to lose fat. Um, It's more just to get that morning light and morning movement in, but I do that fasted. But if you're trying to lose weight, adding coffee and then a fasted walk can be really powerful. But again, it's, you need to be careful. So for women, I definitely don't really recommend you doing that or not every day. At least you can use it like every now and then as a tool on a day where you're not particularly stressed, maybe like the weekend Uh, Guys can get away with it a lot more, but again, it's just paying attention to your body and seeing how it responds. So you're not massively stressing it because coffee on an empty stomach is stressful. And then obviously the fasted cardio is stressful and that cardio doesn't need to be like a run. It can literally just be a walk. It's just getting your heart rate up 
It could also be like some mobility work. If it's winter and you can't get out for a walk, you're not doing like a full workout fasted Mm. or you don't have to. But then I know some people do love working out fasted. So it's so individual and you really just need to pay attention to how your body's responding to that. So correct me if I'm wrong. I feel that people love doing workouts fasted because it's supposed to increase the speed at which fat is burning, right? Is it your body tapping into fat stores for energy considering it doesn't have a food source anymore? Is that correct? Yeah, that's the mechanism. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it kind of makes sense, right? If you think about it, but like you are not looking to lose fat. <laughs> you're, you've already, you're such an athlete. You need the energy, you need the carbohydrates. Um, I can definitely see the benefit in that. And I can see like someone like me, something I do personally is I wake up, I'll have, I actually have a black coffee and then I take my dogs for a walk. It's just part of my daily routine. So if somebody wants to get off and go for a walk, take their dogs out, come back and I need breakfast. Yeah. Probably not a bad idea either. You know, um, plus getting out, do you get morning sunlight? I hear that's like a really big thing that people are trying to push now is just waking up, getting a morning sunlight and starting that circadian clock. Do you do that? Yeah. So that's especially now. So this time of year in New Zealand, the sun comes up early. So I'm getting out first thing, but in the winter, the sun's not really up to like eight, but Mm. the key is just to get out as quick as you can, as soon as the sun does come up. So I know in the U S and Canada, it's not coming up till like, yeah, like 8 AM ish. (laughs) But if you just get out as soon as it is up, that's really powerful for the circadian rhythm. Do you feel that's helped you personally? Yeah, I would say it's definitely one of the biggest things for me in terms of sleep quality, as well as like general daylight exposure as well, Mm -hmm. just getting as much throughout the day as I can. That's something that, um, do you know who Matthew Huberman is or not Matthew, Andrew Huberman? Do you know who Andrew Huberman? Yeah, you're shaking your head. Yeah. Yeah. That's something he continues to push over and over again. So you feel like there is some really good science behind that. And people like you are now echoing that. So something I'm trying to do a little more of. Um, it is also chilly now when I wake up in the morning. So opening up that door to get that sunlight isn't as refreshing as it was a couple months ago, but, yeah. uh, sounds important nonetheless, but, um, all right, you've done an awesome job breaking down the morning. I think those are all super important steps. We can hit on daytime here. And these are things also not to do, which I think people are going to have a really hard time with these next few, um, the next one, avoid sitting for more than one hour. I think it's a good rule of thumb, but like I said, I think people have a really hard time doing that. Oh, you actually quote the Huberman lab right here too. Um, (laughs) So um, with work and how busy people get and the meetings that people have, the schedules, all that stuff, it is super hard to remind yourself to get up or to find time to get up. But if you could explain why that's important to continue to get up at least once every hour or two. Yeah. So sitting is easily one of the worst things you could do when you sit for a long time. Obviously some sitting's okay. We also shouldn't be standing all day either. It's about alternating between the two, but there's so much research that shows how bad sitting is in terms of all like outcomes. So it essentially, I think there was one study that they did, it was like 400,000 adults 
And the people that sat for more than, I think it was about like eight hours a day. I'm not quite sure, but they increased their risk for early death by 40%. So it was like a massive increase. And it was like, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was like 400,000 people, like a lot of people. It was a big study. And there's so many studies that have shown that it increases your risk of essentially every chronic disease and as well as things like even mood. And obviously you have more more of a risk of being overweight as well. So that's why it's so important to get up as often as you possibly can. Mm. 40%. That's no joke. Wow. Yeah. I'm glad you said that because like I said, I think a lot of people have a hard time doing that one. Just a reminder. I know I had a podcast a few years ago where kind of discussed habits and like setting reminders on your phone or on your watch just to stand up, get up, move around for a minute, even if it's just a couple minutes, like what a benefit that is. So please, people remember to get up. Um, another one that you have that I definitely had and sometimes have a hard time with, especially during the pandemic when we're all locked down at home, was avoiding snacks. Ooh, this is a hard one. Um, a quote you say here, if you're looking to lose weight, You've probably heard you should have frequent small meals because it's good for the metabolism. But the current literature suggests that we should avoid snacks if you want to reduce our body fat. Can you dive into that, please? Yeah. So again, that's another misconception where people think they should be eating essentially all day long to lose weight because it helps the metabolism. But the thing with that is that your digestive system is never getting a break and that is problematic. It's never needing to tap into those fat stores because you're constantly giving it fuel. So it's never having to tap into its own fuel. And also when you eat, your your body's going to release insulin, which is to help manage those blood sugar spikes. But if you're constantly eating, you're constantly spiking insulin. And I'm sure most people have heard of insulin resistance, and then that can lead to diabetes. So that's obviously a risk there. And it's also just a really easy way to reduce your calories and not eat too much, which is obviously important if you're looking to lose weight. And the main thing is just humans weren't meant to eat all day long. Like you look at the average American, you, like you said, probably have a Starbucks when you wake up, that's food. Even if you think it's a drink, it's food. And then you're eating till, I don't know, 10 PM when you're going to bed and humans just weren't built to be taking on food for that long, for that, like all day, like we're meant to have breaks in the day with no food. It's so bad. Do you ever track your food? I haven't for a while. I used to for like a few years, I was probably tracking pretty consistently, but not now. I tend to eat pretty much the same food every day. So I know what I'm eating. Right. Yeah. Once you track a few, uh, once you track your food for a little bit, you kind of have an idea of what's going in your body, but I will say starting to track your food for people that don't do it. It sounds annoying, right? It really does sound super annoying, but you do it for a couple of weeks. You start to realize how fast things really add up, especially when you're snacking and it's like, Whoa, by noon, I've already hit my daily intake. <laughs> it's like for real, I, I, I'm being serious when I say that I'm laughing, but I definitely had my eyes opened quite a bit when I started to track my food over the pandemic because things were just right down the hallway, working from home in the pantry, easy to grab and you're snacking throughout the day. And before you know it, 
you've already hit 1500, 2000 calories and you, you're not even at three o'clock yet. And you're just like, Oh my God, like, it's crazy. I, I feel like this is a, this is a really, really big one. I feel it's a really big one for many people and their lifestyles. Um, so you also talked about, um, glucose spikes and blood sugar levels. Um, that's where this next up comes into play. So I never heard of this term post prandial walks. Walking after a meal is a great way to control blood sugar, which will in turn support your fat loss journey. I follow somebody called the glucose goddess. I'm not sure if you're familiar with who she is. Um, She's a really good follow on Instagram. And she actually puts into charts what your blood sugar does when you eat a meal and then what your blood sugar does when you eat that same meal and go for a walk. It's crazy how much that helps your blood sugar levels. Can you dive into what you're talking about here? Yeah. So again, that's just, it's so important to manage blood sugar firstly for fat loss, but general health as well and avoiding chronic disease. So it's the same thing we talked about with not sitting in general, but not sitting after a meal is even more important because we do have a natural spiking blood glucose, which is normal, but that spike can be problematic, especially if it is quite a big spike and if it's happening frequently. So going for a walk after a meal is just such an easy way to manage those blood sugar spikes. And it also improves digestion. There's a study that shows it improves digestion to the same degree as like a digestion digestion medication. So if you have any digestive problems, that can be really helpful. And it's not, it doesn't need to be a strenuous walk. Like you're not going to want to go for a strenuous walk after a meal, but just a gentle stroll for, you know, 10 to 15 minutes is really helpful, especially if it's been a higher carb meal or just a bigger meal in general. So with Thanksgiving coming up, that's like a big tip I have is just eat. You can eat what you want. You know, you can have that piece of pie, but then go for a walk after just to manage those spikes. I will second that. Um, There are plenty of times where I eat and don't go for a walk. And there's times where I eat and I do go for a walk. And the amount of times, like I've said, I feel better just being out here going for a walk immediately after a meal. That's not just mental either. It's not because, oh, I ate a lot. I'm going for a walk. I feel better that I'm burning some of these calories off. It's like legit getting up and moving. I actually do feel better especially for those people that are perhaps working from home after you eat a lunch, if you can spare 10 to 15 minutes just to go walk around your neighborhood or walk around the block or whatever, I think that'll play a big role for sure. I know it's definitely helped me a lot. It's something I'll continue to do for the rest of my life for sure. Um, Is there anything else you want to touch on before we hit on, hit on the next step? Yeah. With that, if you can't go for a walk, like let's say you have, like you have to get back to your desk after lunch even just standing, if possible, if you have a standing desk or if you can put your laptop or something on something, there's been some studies that show that standing after a meal in office workers specifically, instead of sitting, decrease their blood sugar spikes by 43%. And that the people who do sit after a meal, office workers, again, they increase their risk of developing type 2 diabetes by 112%. So If you can't walk, just at least stand for a little bit, just so that you're not getting those massive spikes after your meal. What a huge difference. If that's not incentive to get a standing desk, then what is? Can I assume that you are a proponent for standing desks? Yeah, 
So I'm sitting right now, but this is a standing. <laughs> Such a hypocrite. Yeah, I know. <laughs> you just called yourself out for everyone listening to this on the radio. <laughs> or the, now we all know you're sitting. <laughs> what a problem. Yeah. No, <laughs> but um, no, that's a great point. I'm actually on the in the market for a new desk for my home office. So it's something I'm definitely looking into uh, as well to also help help for posture. Uh, my posture tends to lean forward. It's terrible. I'm on the computer all day. I'm sure that's terrible for me too. But all right, we're going to have the next step here, which is something I actually take part in quite often, which is HIT training uh, plus resistance training. So you have the plus, you have HIT plus resistance training. So HIT is high intensity interval training. Um, so we have... I'm going to read what you say, and I'll let you dive into this again. Um, resistance training is a powerful tool for fat loss and works through a few different mechanisms. Lifting weights increases metabolic efficiency and muscle mass. And the more muscle you have, the more calories you will burn on a daily basis. Um, High-intensity interval training is another great tool for fat loss and involves exercising a high intensity for a short period of time, followed by a period of rest. This can be anywhere from a three-to-one or a one-to-three work-rest ratio. I got introduced to high intensity interval training probably 10, 12, 13 years ago with uh, Insanity. If you're familiar with Insanity from Beachbody, from the at-home workouts, I still do it. I did it last night. I swear at the TV every time I do it because it kicks my ass. But um, I'm glad to see that you put that on here. And uh, yeah, I want you to dive into, let's dive into HIIT training first. Let's then dive into what also uh, resistance training does for you as well. Yeah. So HIIT training is very powerful for fat loss, also muscle gain, but fat loss specifically. And that's for a few reasons. So obviously you're burning calories while you're doing it, but you're not burning a ton because it's usually quite short, like anywhere from like four to maybe 30 minutes. You probably wouldn't want to do it more than that. Um, but the big benefit is the calories that you're going to burn after. So that's when you've done an intense workout, your body continues to burn calories for like hours, sometimes up to like a day later. So you're setting yourself up for some long-term calorie burning, and it's also good for the metabolism. So it's really good for like mitochondrial health. Mitochondria are really important with the metabolism, just making that all run more effectively. And I think HIIT training is, it's just such a powerful tool for fat loss and it's quick. Like if you compare that to like a steady state cardio where you're going out for, I don't know, an hour run compared to doing like a four minute HIIT session, like you're getting so much more fat burning and fitness as well in such a short time. And there's so many studies that have shown that, that it's way more effective than doing steady state cardio and yeah, you just save so much time. And that's a big thing for a lot of people these days. Mm. Yeah, time. It's it's it can suck, <laughs> but it sucks for less time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so speaking of hit training before we get into resistance training, is um being an athlete yourself, have you ever done your VO2 max at all? Have you ever tested for that? I don't no. think so. I think in one of my papers at university, we were doing it, but I wasn't one of the volunteers because it looks terrible. So I've never actually done it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm actually would be curious to know what you test at. I mean, it's got to be obviously yeah. upper echelon because you are quite the athlete. So I actually, last summer I had a podcast and I had uh, the Run Raleigh PT 
on here. We talked about VO2 max training, and then she gave me a plan, and I actually did that all last summer. I, I put myself through the training almost to a T, not quite every day, but almost to a T, that I retested again, I think about three, three to four months later, and my VO2 max score went up. And um, it's awesome to see. It's basically like HIIT training. It's a lot of sprint workouts, letting your heart rate come down, then hitting it again. It goes high as you can, letting it come down. I know that's something that um, Dr. Peter uh, Atia, if you're familiar with who he is, talks about VO2 max training and how that is somewhat of a marker for life expense expectancy um, when you're able to push yourself that hard and kind of increase the boundaries of you and your limits and your heart rate, um, how that can help you with your longevity as well. Um, so HIIT training is just kind of like in the same realm of the VO2 max. Um, I was just curious to know if you did that because you probably would be off the charts, <laughs> but, um, yeah, if you want to touch on resistance training, I know that's been a big thing for a long time, obviously, but I feel like there's just still more and more good information coming out about resistance training, especially for women. I feel like women resistance training now is just so much different than it was 20, 30, 40 years ago. There's just more women doing it and they recognize the benefits of it. So if you want to touch on resistance training, please do. Resistance training is something that everybody should do, regardless of age, goals, gender, because it's so important for longevity. First of all, muscle mass is just crucial for health in general and staying functional for a long time. So that's always the biggest reason to do it and why everyone should do it. Even if you're over 60 already, um, I get my grandma to do it, just body weight, even just sitting down to a chair and standing up 10 times, you know, just loading your muscles is so important for longevity for that muscle mass. But also in terms of, obviously if you wanna build an aesthetic body, that looks good. You're going to want to have muscle mass for those reasons. And then fat loss again, which I touched on earlier, uh, muscle is highly metabolically active. So you're burning a lot of calories just by having muscle on your body. It just makes you essentially like a fat burning machine, the more muscle that you have. So if you're looking to lose weight, building muscle should be the priority. That's the main thing I address with my coaching clients, all of them are doing resistance training, like regardless of age, regardless of their goals, it's just everybody should be doing it. So for people that are listening to this that perhaps are scared to start or don't know where to start, how often would you recommend people do resistance training? Like how many days a week? At least two, ideally three, and then not more than that necessarily. So a lot of people get stuck in the trap of doing too much then when they're doing like five or six days a week and then they're not recovering there. It's that stress response again with the cortisol. So three is like ideal. I get most of my clients to do three, some of them do four, but if they're really strapped for time, I've got one of my clients, he just does two per week just cause he's so busy with work and traveling. Hmm. Okay. So I want to dive into this just a little more. So if I, Someone like me is your client. I'm pretty active. Um, I come to you and say, hey, Ashley, you know that dream body you're talking about? I want that. Um, I am available to go to the gym. I'm available to do HIIT training. I'm available to eat as well as you would like me to. How often are you sending me to the gym? 
what do you tell me to do for recovery? And what about in between like hit workouts or walking or cardio? Like what's like a good balance and a ratio of all of those things? With you, because you are quite active and have a good background in fitness already. Like you're not a beginner. I would most likely send you four times a week to the gym, unless you were really busy and then we could do three, but most likely if you were my client, I would say four. And then in terms of other stuff. So like hit in the first phase, again, it really depends on the person, but um, we tend to do more of that steady state cardio. So it's not quite cardio, but it's steady state movement. So a lot of my clients come to me and they're not doing a ton already. So we're going to build up that workload first, the work capacity. And so the first phase, usually there's no hit. It depends on the person though. Like I said, with you, we might get into hit right away just because you do have a good background in it, but it might just be two days a week of a 20 minute steady state movement in between those days. So maybe Monday gym, Tuesday, steady state, Wednesday gym, Thursday, steady state, and then Friday, and then Saturday, Sunday for recovery and Recovery is a big thing that I hit on because I think a lot of people don't address it at all. So recovery is just as important as the actual exercise because if you're not recovering, you're obviously not making progress. So a big thing that I learned from Dr. Huberman was the importance of doing just even a few minutes of breath work after your session. So you finish at the gym and then you're doing probably like box breathing, which is like four seconds in four second hold, four seconds out, four second hold, just to downregulate your nervous system so that your body can start recovering as quickly as possible. Otherwise you do your session and then you go into the rest of your day and you're still stressed. So exercise stimulates the sympathetic nervous system. So the fight or flight nervous system. So breath work is always number one for recovery. And then as well as hydration, getting that protein in, eating enough food in general, and then active recovery as well. So I get a lot of my clients to do mobility work between sessions and like stretching. So either in the morning, in the evening, or kind of as a separate workout where it's just, it's gentle movement. But when you're trying to recover, you don't want to just sit still. People think they should just sit on the couch, but that actually slows your recovery because you want to have that blood flowing. You're moving the waste products out. You're getting nutrients to your muscles as well. So general movement is definitely really important for recovery. Yeah. I'm glad you hit on that. Cause I was going to ask you, what does a recovery day look like? Because I imagine people probably like, Oh, I'm achy. I'm sore. I just did as many squats as I could and I can't move. I'm going to sit on the couch all day. But what you're basically saying is that is not beneficial. Don't do that. Get up and move, do light movements, maybe stretch a little bit, stuff like that. Is that correct? Yeah. Definitely. You want to get moving. You want to get your heart rate up a little bit, not so much that it's stressful because then you're not recovering, but a little bit just to get things flowing around your body and oxygenating the tissues, stuff like that. And I noticed you said you would give me Saturday, Sunday a recovery. So you would do two days in a row. You wouldn't spread those out. It again, depends on the person. So some people like if the gym is near work, they, it's just easier to go Monday to Friday. Some people prefer working out on the weekend because they have more time. So mm -hmm. it just depends on your schedule really because adherence is the most important thing. So whatever's going to work best for you is ideal. Like for example, I wouldn't normally do, especially if you're doing a full body program, I wouldn't put them 
beside each other, like Monday, Tuesday. But if you can only go Monday, Tuesday, Friday, like that's what we're going to do. So it's just about making it sustainable rather than optimal, because there's no point in having optimal if you're not going to stick with it. 100%. Consistency is key. Always. Yeah. Um, Another question I have, I imagine you got this question. I'm sorry, this wasn't like in the outline, but I got to ask you. People, you brought up six pack. People want those abs. They always want the abs. They say, Ashley, I want to get abs. What do I got to do to get abs? Forget everything else. What do I got to do? So everyone wants to have that six pack, the washboard abs. If you want to dive into that one, what it takes to get that into like, just, I don't know, kind of like misconceptions perhaps around abs or getting them or what your thoughts are. So I think the biggest misconception is that you just need to do a lot of core work to get abs. And obviously you need muscle there to have abs. Abs are a muscle like anything else, but you can't just do sit-ups and expect to get a six pack, which I know a lot of people are still under that misconception that that's how you would get abs. So fat loss is going to be the biggest thing. So the main reason most people can't see their abs is just because there's fat on top. Like there are going to be abs there because you wouldn't be able to walk or sit up if you didn't have abs because they hold your torso upright and help you live. But it's that fat on top that is the main thing. So that would be the priority is getting your body fat percentage down. And that alone would help you see your abs. And then if they still weren't very prominent, then we could look more into doing some more core work, which would make them bulkier or bigger to see them. But definitely it's about getting your fat loss down. And this whole conversation is about how you can do that essentially. And uh, the old saying goes, abs are made in the kitchen, right? Not yeah. in the gym. Yeah. So, nutrition yeah. is key. Obviously movement in general is key for fat loss as well, but you really got to get that nutrition dialed in for, to get to that sort of body fat percentage. Um, I'm one of those people that I will, for the most part, train my abs perhaps every day. Is that a terrible thing to do because they are still a muscle group? It's not like I would do chest after chest after chest, right? Like what are your thoughts about training your core every day? The core is more able to be trained every day. So because it's such an endurance muscle, it's on like all the time, like you're constantly using it when you're just walking and living life. So it's like, it's used to being used frequently. Whereas yeah, something like, I mean, you could say that, I guess for the legs as well, you're walking around on them, but the core tends to be more of an endurance muscle and it's going to be, it's just that self-awareness again. So paying attention to whether you're actually recovering. And I think, I think you should always take breaks from training your muscles, but it just depends on what you're doing. Like if you're hammering them every day, I would say that's bad. Like if you're going to absolute failure, you know, doing heavy cable crunches or something, I wouldn't do that every day, but doing a little bit every day is going to be fine. But yeah, you just need to make sure that you are getting some recovery. And unfortunately, that'll just, that's a case by case basis. Some people are better at recovering than others. But like for me, just for an example, like I do 10 chin ups every day. So I never take a day off. I do my chin ups, but it's such a small amount that I'm not completely hammering them out. You know, I'm not doing weighted 
chin-ups to failure every day. <laughs> I'm doing just a little bit every day. So that would be the approach I would take. That's also got to be something more of like a mental thing for you too, right? Just showing up for yourself every day, being consistent, making that promise to yourself. There's probably a lot to that too, right? Yeah, definitely. I do have those non-negotiables that I try to do every day. And the chin-up is something I want to be good at. So I just practice it every day. Nice. What I got to ask you, any other non-negotiables that you got? Most of them are like business related right now, but steps. So 9,000 is my absolute minimum for steps that I have to hit every day. And then the chin-ups and then, yeah, the rest of it right now, because I'm in such a grind with the business right now, it's mainly business stuff that I'm just making sure I'm hitting on every day, but I always have what I call a daily list. So it changes kind of like every quarter, depending on what my goals are, but I always have non-negotiables. I appreciate that. I love talking to disciplined people. Such an inspiration. I absolutely love it. Um, once again, thank you for going through like all of these steps because this is something that people can follow throughout the day. And now we've hit on night. So night, the first thing you have is casein protein. Whey protein is a great post-workout because it leads to a spike in muscle protein synthesis. Before bad, casein protein is ideal because it's slower releasing. I want you to hit on that real quick, but that also means people are intaking calories and or eating food or whatever you want to call it before going to bed. Is that something that you would recommend? Is that a case by case? And then perhaps talk about whey versus casein. Yeah. So in terms of eating before bed, that is going to be case by case again. So it's going to be similar to the fasting where some people, especially men and most men would they're okay not eating right before bed. And then ideally not eating like three hours before bed would be like, that's like the ideal so that you have tons of time to digest and wind down before sleep. But I know like for me, if I didn't eat three hours before bed, I'd be starving by bedtime. And part of that, yeah, is being female. I'm very lean. Um, I can't get away with going for huge periods of time without food. So I tend to eat, I try to at least have an hour before bed. I wouldn't eat within that final hour. And when I am eating, it's light. So I'm not having dinner an hour before bed. I usually have dinner around like five and then go to bed at like 9.30. So I usually have dinner and then I'll have a light snack, which currently is usually like dates, um, maybe some like oat crackers. Yeah, it's about it right now. Maybe some yogurt. And yeah, but that casein protein is a good option to have there. So I think I learned this one from my dad, who's like old school bodybuilding. Um, he always would have casein protein before bed. Usually like cottage cheese is a good like natural source of it. If you want like a food source of it, otherwise you can buy powders and various supplements with it. So that's just a good one before bed because it's slow release. So it's going to slowly you're going to slowly digest it over the night which is when a lot of that muscle recovery is going to be happening is while you're asleep so you're just essentially giving your body those building blocks to repair your muscles from the day in comparison to whey which is so whey and casein are the two main proteins in dairy just to clarify that so whey protein is like a mat it's it's digested really quickly um 
And so you're having like a massive spike in muscle protein synthesis, which is really great right after a workout. But before bed, whey is also a good option if you still need to get some protein in. But if possible, the casein is just better because of that long release that comes with that type of protein. Okay, great. And I will say, I'm not going to ask you to recommend any brands or whatever, but I will say also be careful of some of the brands that you do get. A lot of them are filled with sugars, sweeteners, all that stuff. I mean, yeah, they taste like dessert before bed, but it's like, okay, well, it's probably too good to be true. Take a look at the ingredients and make sure you're not just inhaling sugars and artificial sweeteners before you go to sleep. You don't really want to be doing that. That's not going to help you build your dream body, people. (laughs) So yeah, be aware. Protein powder as well. So like, I always recommend like try to get your protein from food and don't rely on protein powders, but protein powders can be helpful for sure. I do use them not frequently, but they're good. If let's say I've finished a workout at three and I'm not having dinner till five, I'll sometimes have a protein shake, but I'm really lucky in New Zealand where our dairy is really high quality. It's all grass fed. Nice. Um, multiple protein powder options here that are like literally grass fed dairy with like natural sweeteners and natural flavors. There's like three ingredients in the protein. So like in that situation, it's fine. And I'll usually mix it with like sheep milk, mm. which is like stereotypical New Zealand, but like, and that would be my shake. Or sometimes I just have the sheep milk cause it's really high protein. I just have that on its own after a workout. So it's really important to look at ingredients because so many of them are just going to make your weight loss journey harder if they're full of bad stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, for real, I, being serious when I say that, because for all you know, a year or two goes by, you think you're being good and you finally look at the ingredients. And it's like, wonder why you're not seeing results. It's because you're ingesting that like every day. So take a moment and look at the ingredients, make the adjustment now uh, before you start building your dream body. And before we get to the final step here, um, I'm just curious, a little jealous about what you just said about your food and how clean it is. And I feel like in America, there's just like, what the hell? Why is everything got to have stupid crap in it that I don't want to eat? Um, is there any like hacks and or snacks or foods or anything that you eat that really gets your protein up there? Or is it just kind of basic chicken, eggs? whatever you want to call it. Like, I'm just trying to give people like another edge or another piece of advice or a tip from you where they can grab some extra protein. It's mainly meat and eggs. So like I said, like eggs for breakfast, usually with maybe some like chicken or ham or maybe salami. And then lunch is usually ground beef or lamb and dinner is usually beef, like steak or ground beef or lamb as well and then yeah like a greek yogurt for a snack maybe a protein shake for a snack that's to be honest about it i don't eat really nuts or legumes or anything like that it's mainly just meat to be honest which again i'm lucky here that all the meat is grass-fed like all the beef is grass-fed there is only grass-fed anything here so it's always high quality and cheap from what I've heard, like for you guys getting lamb, I've heard is really expensive, whereas it's cheaper than beef here. So oh, we're very wow. lucky. Wow. Yeah. I read a, a tweet not too long ago. I don't remember who tweeted it. Um, but I remember reading like, if you want to look good, 
you want to feel good and be healthy, you got to get used to eating boring and like eating the same thing consistently all the time. I feel like people don't want to do that. I think they want variety. Oh, I had chicken yesterday. I had ground beef yesterday. I don't want to eat that again. Well, weigh the pros and the cons, right? Because if you do want that physique and you do want to be really healthy and you want to be living your optimal life, you might be eating the same things over and over again um, because of this reason, right? Like I, that, that really hit me because I don't know. I don't know about New Zealand, but I'm just thinking, especially as a male too, like you go out to dinner with friends and you get the salad or the chicken, you get called boring. Why are you getting that? You know, like get, get alcohol, get drinks. I, we haven't even talked about that at all. Um, and then people are getting dessert and you're like, no, I'm okay. Come on, have some dessert, right? Like everybody's trying to egg you on to have stuff that you don't really want to eat. It's extremely difficult here in the U S. Um, is that a situation you come across or perhaps people outside of this country ever come across is it's kind of, you're looked down upon a little bit for being somewhat boring with your food selections. Yeah, definitely. Like I'll eat the same food for lunch every day. Like it's often ground beef and potato or sweet potato. Like that would be my go-to lunch every day. And I'll make a big batch. Like even this week I've had the same dinner, I think since like Sunday and it's Thursday, like I just make a giant batch of food and I'll eat the same thing all week. And yeah, definitely when I go out because I don't drink or I don't get drinks if I'm out anyway, like alcohol or otherwise, just because it's mainly sugar. So I will get water. When I go to parties, I drink sparkling water, which is obviously people think is boring. And yeah, I definitely, my friends are used to it now. Obviously they tease me because I will eat like one chocolate bar a year. So Mm -hmm. I get a lot of easing around that sort of thing, but it's true that it just, I think more than anything, it just makes it easy to eat the same foods over and over. Like if I have ground beef and potato for lunch every day, I know what I'm having for lunch today. And like, same with breakfast. Like I never have to think about it. I just start cooking my eggs, you know? So for me, it's just a simplicity thing. I'm sure I could come up with 20 different breakfasts that would all be fine, but I just like to make it easy. I don't have to think about it. And now it's just all on autopilot. Like I never have to think about how much protein I'm getting or what to get at the grocery store. You know, it's just, it's just automatic now. It's true. You would just need to input your, macros into a, a tracker once yeah. <laughs> it would be the same forever exactly. <laughs> that's pretty awesome no i mean i really wish people would applaud that more than kind of look down upon that something that i've had to deal with for a long time um though i could also perhaps be a little more lenient on special occasions stuff like that i could do better in that category but you know i want to applaud you for that i think that's awesome um you take it serious you take your body and your health serious and you play sport for a living too. So I think that's, that's, that's amazing. Um, if you don't mind me asking no alcohol, I'm not a huge drinker either. Um, is that by choice? Is it a health reason? Is it, you know, alcohol does agree with you. I'm just curious if you want to dive into that for just a moment. Yeah, probably all of the above. So I mainly just don't like how I feel when I drink, especially like later on it tends to make me feel like anxious the next day and so it's just never worth it for me 
to drink and obviously the health issues there. Um, it's just not worth it for me. So I just don't drink. I don't really think about it. I haven't had a drink for, I think like five years. And it's just, again, it's just one of those things that's automatic. Like I just don't drink. So I never have to think about it. It just is something I don't do. Yeah. I'm with you there. Like I said, that's another thing I feel like that's kind of looked down upon or made fun of when, I don't know, I don't really necessarily see the reason to consistently drink, but you know, it is embedded in people's cultures for one reason or another uh, traditions. So I completely understand that, but um, yeah, I'm with you. I'm, I'm definitely with you as far as alcohol goes. So I would really wanted to touch on that. So thanks for bringing that up. Um, I guess we're on to the final step here, which last but not least, as they like to say, uh, optimize sleep. This is also a subject that I feel like is getting a lot of publicity, I would say, over the last decade or two is how important sleep is. Um, I'm going to read real quick the blurb that you have here and let you really dive into more sleep. Um, there's no shortage of research, as I just mentioned, showing that a lack of sleep can lead to fat, fat gain and hinder our ability to increase our muscle mass. So if we want to ensure our body is burning fat, we need to make sure we're getting enough good quality sleep. So hear that again, people. Getting enough quality sleep can lead to burning fat. All right, I want you to dive into how important sleep really is. I think sleep, like you said, is definitely on more people's radar now, but there's still a ton of people that aren't getting nearly enough sleep and that's impacting everything. So not even just fat loss and muscle gain, but it's your mood, it's your performance at work, like your brain performance, and it's your long-term health as well. So, so many people, especially young people, they think that they're fine without sleep or sleeping, you know, five hours a night or whatever. And you might feel fine, but the damage that's happening is compounding and it will catch up with you later. So I think Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep, has done a really good job at showing why sleep is so important. And the main thing is just that that's when your body's recovering. That's when your brain is getting cleared out. All the waste from the day gets cleared out only when you sleep. And it's just helping with everything like inflammation. Um, it's just, it's so important. Like sleep needs to be number one for everybody. It's a non-negotiable for sure. And I think so many people, I think they think that they do okay on no sleep, but they don't know what a good sleep actually feels like. So if they were sleeping eight hours and then they got the five hours of sleep, they would feel pretty crappy. But because they only get five hours every day, they don't know what it's like to actually feel how they should feel. So I always recommend like at least seven hours a night, which I think should be doable for most people. And with that, you want to spend like ideally eight hours in bed. So like they call it like sleep opportunity. So when you get in bed, you're obviously not falling asleep right away. You're usually waking up a few times in the night. So if you provide at least eight hours of sleep opportunity, that's like the ideal, if not more, if possible. Okay, good. I'm glad you kind of said that because I have written here, what is enough sleep and what yeah. is good sleep? Um, I, I don't know if I'm hitting the mark on either of those. Um, 
purely for the fact that I do go to bed late, but I wake up a little later because I do work from home, so that's helpful. Um, I feel like I, I wake up multiple times throughout the night. I toss and turn a little bit. I'm toying right now with pillows. Um, I feel really good about the temperature in my room when I sleep, which is I think about 65, 66. I know it's supposed to be a little cooler, so your body temperature can go down. Um, my wife and I just got new bamboo sheets which keeps it cool otherwise we run hot and it gets super hot in our room so sheets i know is a huge deal also working on perhaps in the near future a new mattress that's so different for everybody it's really hard to kind of feel your way throughout that area to find out what works best for you um what is good what is good sleep like if i if i wake up two or three times i toss and i turn and fall back asleep is that still considered good yeah, that's normal. It's normal to wake up in the night. So with sleep, we have sleep stages, which goes, you know, we're essentially cycling through the stages and it's really common to wake up between each stage. A lot of people don't remember waking up, but you do go through cycles of light sleep, which often that's when you're going to toss and turn and possibly wake up, go to the bathroom, stuff like that. So that's normal sleep, but ideally beyond those points, you want to be getting that deep sleep and the REM sleep as well. So that's a big thing. I think a lot of people, it seems to go either way. They either don't get much deep sleep or they don't get much REM sleep if they're able to track. And you want to get both, ideally at least an hour of both, but a lot of people get less than that. Ideally, you should actually have quite a bit more than that, but those are two big ones definitely to look at if you have a way to track sleep. Do you have any supplements, um, vitamins, minerals that you would possibly recommend for somebody to give their sleep a good boost? Yeah. So magnesium is a big one. Magnesium glycinate is really good for sleep. That's one that I'll take most nights. And then there's also like herbs, like L-theanine is really good for sleep. Things like passion flower is good for sleep as well. And a lot of people recommend glycine before sleep, but I've always found that glycine makes me feel really awake and less likely to fall asleep. So I'm not sure what that is, but again, it's just pay attention to your body and see how you respond to various things. So magnesium is my main one. And I often take, yeah, like a L-theanine before bed as well. And that's just like a nice herb. So all of that's like natural, like magnesium's natural. It's nothing crazy. So those would be the ones I would definitely look into. Yeah. L-theanine is something I've talked about uh, on a few podcasts, something I do occasionally take. Um, Sometimes I forget, sometimes I do it. Sometimes it gives me really vivid dreams. (laughs) So maybe that means I'm in REM cycle even more. I'm not entirely positive. Um, but yeah, it's uh, definitely one that's becoming more publicized, I guess you can say, mag- and magnesium as well. Um, so if you don't mind, I'm going to do a quick little rundown. You posted a summary, which I think is great. I think it's a good, this is a good time to do a, a little summary so people can remember what we talked about here. So we have morning, 30 grams of protein. We have creatine, coffee, and a fasted walk. Throughout the day, we have avoid sitting for over one hour, avoid snacks, postprandial walks, which means walking after you eat, high intensity interval training plus resistance training. And at night we have casein protein and optimized sleep. I'm going to hit you with a question here. 
that might be a little tough for you, but I'm going to ask you anyways. Um, if I'm looking to start slow and incorporate one of these into my daily routine, which one would you say you got to start with? I definitely say sleep. And the reason for that is that when you're sleeping better, you're going to have more energy to do the rest of it. So it's going to be easier to get those walks in, to stand at your desk, to make a healthy meal. And sleep is just, yeah, it's the number one, because if you're not sleeping, the rest of it's not going to work as effectively. So I would definitely suggest sleep. Awesome. I thought you would say that, but I just wanted to make sure. And also like just reiterates how important good sleep actually is. Um, Ashley, like I want to turn it over to you. Is there anything that we missed? Any advice that you want to make sure you state to the people listening to this? The main thing is just finding a way to make this sustainable. So going through that summary, it seems like, a lot and it is a lot and that's something that I do that's all automatic for me now but it wasn't at the start so don't think that you need to do it all at once and apply everything today like you said if you're looking for one thing like just start with sleep just start there focus on your sleep for the next week or month and really work on optimizing that and then move to the next one and they don't need to be crazy things like in terms of like the resistance training for example you don't need to go to the gym for an hour three times a week if you're currently not going at all like go once for 20 minutes or do some push-ups at home in your living room that's still resistance training it's about finding a way to make it fit with your schedule because none of it's going to work if you're not sticking to it consistency is the number one thing here hundred percent. I couldn't agree with you more. I know sometimes like I have negotiations with myself and it's just like, I can drop down and do 10 push-ups within 30 seconds. And it's just like, Hey, at the very least I did something today. If I did nothing yeah. the rest of the day, I at least did 10 push-ups in 30 seconds. We can all do something like that, no matter what your fitness level is. So yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of people think it's going to be complicated and that's why they don't even start, but if you break it down, it can be really simple. Like it can be as simple as 30 seconds of push-ups. For sure. Ashley, you've been awesome. I want to give people uh, an opportunity to work with you and find you and know about the courses and your training and your coaching. So please share away. Okay. Well, the number one place to find me is on Twitter and my username or X, I guess it's called now, but Twitter is at underscore Ashley Richmond. So that's my biggest platform. I'm on LinkedIn as well. I dabble in Instagram, but if you go on Twitter, you'll be able to find me everywhere. I've got a newsletter as well, which goes out every Monday. You can sign up for that in my Twitter bio. There's a link in there. So definitely start at Twitter. That'll give you everything you need. And then in terms of coaching, I do one-on-one coaching with clients and that's focused on health and fitness. So depending on their goals, it's very, it varies a lot, but generally like losing weight, building muscle, we work on everything we talked about today. So sleep optimization, general health habits, I help people figure out 
you know, how to avoid snacking. What's that actually going to look like for them? I help them figure out what foods to eat, how to fit it all into their schedule and just really reach that next level. And my main mission with that is just to help people reach their full potential and make it as easy for them as possible. That's my general mission, because I think people think health is really complicated and time consuming and it really doesn't need to be. So I want to help people through my content and my coaching as well. Just I want to show how easy it is to be healthy and that it's really just about making a few tweaks to what you're already doing and adjusting your systems. For sure. And that's ashleyrichmond.net as well. And I'll link all of your sites, social media in the show notes as well. So just scroll down, give it a click, give you a follow. You're a great follow, which is how I found you. I just want to reiterate, reiterate one thing is for people that are struggling with their diet and fitness and nutrition, there is no shame in working with a coach. Don't just think I can do this myself. Uh, maybe you can, but if you can't or don't want to, coaches like you exist for a reason. Um, like I said, a few years ago, I had my eyes open when I started working with a coach and nutritionist. We started looking at what I was eating and when I was eating it. And it was just like, what the, what the frig? Here I am thinking I'm, I'm as healthy as anybody would ever imagine. And you lift them under the hood and it was like, wow, okay. And so here I am working with a coach and it was just, it was a game changer and a life changer for me. So if you're struggling with your health, don't know where to start, working with a coach is a great idea. So I fully support it. It'll open your eyes. You know what you're talking about, which is exactly why I had you on this podcast. Um, so I just want to thank you so much again for going through that. I just think it it can't be overstated how helpful it is to have a step-by-step -step guide of just like, hey, when you wake up, you can do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. And when you go to bed, you know you follow the steps to have a very successful, healthy lifestyle, fitness, body, diet, nutrition, and you're working your way towards your goal. So I love having these conversations where I get to ask all these questions. We get to dive into it. So Ashley, thank you so much. Again, you're welcome back anytime. Um, good luck with your hockey season. When When's your next game? Are we off season, on season? What's it looking like now? Yeah, it's, we're, it's complicated because we're obviously, we're coming into summer, but we tend to align with you guys because that's where most of the hockey is. So mm -hmm. usually starts ramping up around now, but we've also got, yeah, just some summer leagues going on. So it's essentially all year for us <laughs> in New awesome. Zealand. Yeah. That's awesome. Good, good luck with that. I'm going to follow you. So uh, keep kicking ass. Ashley, thank you so much once again. Thank you. It's been great chatting with you and getting to meet you too. Super thankful to Ashley Richmond for joining me on this episode all the way across the world in New Zealand with her amazing expertise and information. As I mentioned, please follow her on Twitter slash X at underscore Ashley Richmond. You can work with her at AshleyRichmond.net. All of her social media links and every place you can find her will be in the show notes, as well as follow me at the Pursuit of Happiness podcast on Instagram leave a review please just take a moment and do that 
It is very, very appreciated. Also share this episode and any other episode with friends and family. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. There's so many more good episodes on the way, so stay tuned and subscribe.